Welcome to Foot Guns. It's Wasabi Boat Research with Hal. And today we are talking with Flippin.eth, aka on Twitter, Flippin6485. And um, I really wanted to, to talk to you today. We met in the Lyceum or Lyceum, which is another kind of like Discord uh, chat ship posting group. And um, I, you, you were talking about this app that you founded, which is called Notify, which is kind of like a um, way that you can easily stock these on-chain messages. And there's a ton of alpha that can be kind of extracted from that. And also you, you have a knack from, uh, for uh, just buying all the right NFTs, all the NFTs that I think, damn, I should have bought those, um, but somehow don't. So I want to get you on to just drop alpha on uh, your NFT process and also learn learn about this app and, and get your thoughts on uh, crypto, social, NFTs, metaverse, all that good stuff. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So, I mean, we have to start with this. Your, your name is Flippin. I think you've sent a very definitive on-chain message that ETH will flip in Bitcoin. So when flippening? Um, yeah. So that's a good question. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, if I if I had to guess, so well, I guess I first of all I would say that I'm I would put a pretty high probability chance that it will happen. Um, I kind of thought it would have happened earlier than it has, but I also thought that uh, uh, the switch to proof of stake would have happened a lot earlier than it has. Um, mm. So I would guess after the merge, probably well after the merge. Uh, I, I don't think that. The market will be particularly quick to, uh, you know, take in that ETH two information and understand uh, all the deflationary pressures. And um, uh, I mean, so far we, we already are in a situation where uh, Ethereum is just far and away the the most widely used blockchain, and it's just it's just winning from pretty much every metric. And um, I think a lot of people still just don't fully appreciate that fact. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it will eventually flip in Bitcoin, um, and uh, it might be a turbulent time, uh, but eventually it will just just it, it's it, I think it's far and away a more valuable protocol in the long run. Um, yeah, so so I, I don't know I don't know about a specific time. I would say after the merge, probably like maybe even years after the merge. Are you of the view that the merge will be a big? dump event when all this ETH starts to unlock and people can finally sell it and move it around? Uh, yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it depends more on kind of the macro market than it does specifically that event. Um, like if if we are in a bull market when we merge, then uh, I think it will be super bullish. I don't think we'll see a lot of dumping, but um, if we're like kind of where we are now, which is sort of this like sideways downtrend, um, which is probably most likely, uh, given that if if the you know fall target dates hit, then uh, yeah, I think we probably do see a, a lot of liquidity freed and people trying to get out. So uh, it might be a good buying opportunity, actually. Hal, what what probabilities you put on this? I know. So Hal's got like a, a split personality. He has like this big Bitcoin stack that he's been sitting on, but then also actively trades everything so he has like this bitcoin maxi side of him and then he has this kind of like degen trader side of him so i'm curious to uh to see how how you react to the to the uh flipping probability yeah i mean i was gonna say do you um are you not worried about the uh you know eth competitors all these different chains and stuff i mean i think i think for me uh, why i think ethereum will stay on the top is sort of why bitcoin stayed on the top is you know right now the market if you just like pull up CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap or something like that, all the top 
all the top coins are just like Ethereum competitors, right? And that's that's sort of what it looks like in 2017, 2018. All the top coins were Bitcoin competitors. Um, I do I do buy the argument that like if Ethereum is a derivative, you know, style crypto on top of Bitcoin, then you know you would expect that more money would be in the derivatives than in in the the base asset. So I could see that. Um, I do think like for me, I think it's funny. Raul Paul. Uh, a long time ago, I guess like 2018, 2019, said that he thought that if Ethereum were to ever flip Bitcoin, that that would be the end of crypto. And then he's now famously like long, like 75% Ethereum or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think I don't think the flipping would be like, like it would be some sort of non-event if we ever get there, I think, um, because the markets will look a lot different. My, my pushback is that... Um, like the big money, you know, the, the people that are that really pushes past a mil, you know, a trillion dollar market cap into like ten trillion dollars and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if they want to put their money into something that's upgrading and changing, and you know, even though it's like has higher fees and or, or you know looks better as far as like um, valuation, um, Bitcoin still looks better in my mind from just like a a risk reward situation where. Um, you put a gun to my head and said, you know, you need to buy one cryptocurrency that will never be sold for the next 15 years. Like I would still pick Bitcoin over Ethereum um, just because I think, you know, Ethereum has this sort of chance of crapping out. Um, I don't know. I do think like, you know, uh, I wrote this article a while ago called The Flipping and showed how Ethereum like basically already has flipped Bitcoin on every single uh, metric besides market cap, basically. Um, uh, and then the last thing I'll say is that I think that the reason Ethereum is the number two crypto is that you can trade it on the Chicago's Merchantile Exchange. And that if they were to like add Solana or something like that, uh, it would give Ethereum a run for its money regardless of the technology being better or worse. Yeah, I think I actually agree with most everything you said there. Um, I, I also give people similar advice, uh, depending on their risk tolerance to, to just buy Bitcoin. Uh, I also hold a lot of Bitcoin as well, um, you know, and, and held Bitcoin way before I got into Ethereum. Um, so so I, I don't really disagree with that. I, I just think that the uh, I, I think the reasons or, or maybe the one place I would disagree is uh, right now, that's definitely true that a lot of larger players uh, would prefer to put their money into Bitcoin because it's it's safer. Uh, there's definitely way more execution risk for Ethereum. Uh, I do think that that dynamic changes a little bit after a successful merge, assuming that happens. Um, and, and I think after that's kind of been in place for some amount of time, maybe years, um, and there's, there's also all these other narratives that uh, a lot of larger money players care about, like... Uh, uh, you know, the uh, the environmental impact on, on proof of work and stuff. And, and I, you can debate the merits of those arguments, but uh, but I do think that has a pretty big impact on where like some funds are putting their money. Um, and, and I think the proof of stake is just a better narrative that way. Um, so, so I think the, the kind of the risk will, over time, the risk will come down and it'll kind of flip to where uh, people feel as safe putting money into Ethereum as they do Bitcoin. And, uh, and then, as you said, it's already flipped Bitcoin on pretty much every metric except for market cap. So um, I, I think the, the price will adjust accordingly. I, I do want to get your response to this before we move on, because this is uh, one of our other people that we have on here. We call him Boomer for, for reasons that he's 
old and decrepit and tradfi. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm making fun of him because he's not here to defend himself. But um, he said this, which I think is hilarious. Uh, Ethereum is the phone that doesn't charge. What, what is your response to that? I'm not sure I, I grasp it entirely. Can you explain? That's exactly the same reaction I had when he said it to me when we were recording a podcast. I think he meant that like it's supposed to pump a lot, but doesn't pump like i don't know in the last year or something but yeah so i guess like i I interpret it as like it's that piece of technology that you have that like everybody has it and it's cool and you know latest and greatest thing but then you go to like plug it in and it, it won't charge and so you're just like oh my god this thing is so frustrating like you know so i think he's referencing the fact that we have a lot of people in our discord that uh you know constantly complain about ethereum high gas fees and how you know, they have, I mean, for instance, like Optimism just did an airdrop and one of the, one of the categories for the airdrop was you were priced out of Ethereum, right? So I think that's, that's why I, I interpret what he meant by the phone that doesn't charge. It's, it's like, it's this cool thing that you actually can't even use. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's obviously true. That's kind of been the whole past year narrative of all these other Ethereum killer chains. Uh, and actually, I mean, even back in 2017, that was kind of the narrative too, right? Of, of all these, the Tron and the EOS and all these other chains as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like it's it's pretty clearly that Ethereum is being used very heavily. So, it just yes, it, it it's it can't be used for every use case, but it's clear that uh, many people are finding a lot of value in using that chain. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't, it, you know, it's the uh, what's the the saying of like, uh, you know, uh, the the line is too long at that club, nobody goes there, whatever that thing is. Um, it's, it's, it's like the gas fees are high because there's such high usage and there's such high demand for block space. And uh, it, it, it doesn't, the, the argument that like people can't use Ethereum doesn't really make sense to me because the, the kind of, the reason that they're saying people can't use Ethereum is because too many people are using Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, I don't know, he he made this same, you know, re- representing his view again, he made this sort of argument about like, you know, you see that restaurant that has the line out of the door and like, you sort of just like, don't want to go there. Like, even though everybody goes there, like, you don't go there anymore, because it's like, you know, why do you want to go there anymore? It's got a line out the door. But still, it's like, obviously, everyone's going there. That's why there's a line out the door. right? So um, yeah, I don't know, it, like, it, it pushes people out. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, well, it's also being used, it's, it's being used to the point that it's essentially at full capacity. That's the way I see. Yeah, it. yeah. And I think uh, I'm not bearish other chains either. Like, I, I do think um, it makes the most sense from an architecture standpoint that uh, these kind of like Ethereum L2s just kind of dominate and, and settle back on the base layer. But I don't know, like just because that kind of like is is nice from this technical standpoint, I don't know if that's actually how the real world will play out. Uh, I, I certainly think there's, there's going to be a place for other ecosystems growing as well. Uh, obviously, you're just moving up the risk curve there. So betting on those is riskier, but potentially higher reward. So uh, yeah, I mean, I do that a bit myself as well. I, I'm not against any of that. All right, so I want to move us into our next section, which is one of the uses of Ethereum, that being, of course, collecting and trading and degening NFTs. But to, to set us up, let's um, let's take a tour. Imagine you had one of those kind of like 3D NFT art gallery things and you had your Grail NFTs in there that people are putting on their Twitter. Um, take us through a tour of your Metaverse uh, NFT collection. Like, what are some of the highlights? I know you have like a punk and your PFP now is a moonbird. So like, what are, what are some of the uh, pieces of your collection? Yeah. So I would actually say I'm, I'm not a huge collector. Um, I did kind of start in that space 
just collecting things that I liked. Uh, but kind of as valuations have gotten so high, uh, I, I just started treating it more as an investment. So I'm, I'm much more of a trader. Um, so, so I don't have like some, you know, amazing collection that I'm super proud to show off, but, uh, yeah, I do, I do have a punk, um, punks were really my first, technically my first NFT trading was crypto kitties back in 2017. But, uh, but my first, uh, in this kind of newer wave, uh, I, I bought some punks back in 2020, um, really from this collector's mindset of, I thought this was a pretty cool thing. Uh, I didn't really think it was going to go up in value that much at the time. Um, and, and obviously did very well. Um, other things I'm currently holding, uh, I'm, I'm mostly holding like PFP projects at this point. Um, I sold off most of my, I, I had quite a bit of art blocks and uh, other one-of-one generative art kind of stuff. Um, I sold off all of that really, uh, a lot of it for a loss, to be honest. Um, but but I, I kind of saw this demand for uh, these PFP projects uh, and and started buying up a lot of these things. So I, I have I have punks. Um, yeah, my the most recent big win has been Moonbirds. Um, uh, I held some Doodles. Uh, I got I, I still like the Cool Cats a lot, although the market's kind of uh, <laughs> gotten over them a bit. But I, I'm a big fan of them and their team and what they're doing. Um, you sell your Moonbirds? Or are you still holding? I'm still holding. Um, I have two Moonbirds. Uh, actually, if the price drops enough, I will probably pick up a third. Um, uh, yeah, it, like as far can as can you give us your, uh, can you give us like a two sentence, three sentence pitch on why Moonbirds? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say the the short pitch would be um, they have learned the right lessons from Yuga Labs. Uh, they're definitely following like this board ape model, uh, and uh, I think uh, their team is really strong. Uh, Kevin Rose both uh, has has run some larger companies in the past and is very immersed in the space and understands uh, the dynamics of these different projects. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much just like a, a utility play. Um, I suspect that it will return me more value in the long run than it costs currently to buy a Moonbird without selling it. So you had a tweet earlier about something like there's this divide between like DeFi people and NFT people and that DeFi people generally are not good at NFT trading. So like, what's the, what's the different skill set there? Why do DeFi people suck at NFTs? Yeah, I think it's just a different, it's just a different skill set. So uh, trading DeFi tokens is much more like you need like a finance background or at least an understanding of financial markets. Um, Understanding like like you need to actually kind of like do research on the things you're buying, understanding the teams, what they're building, if it has product market fit, um, what the tokenomics are. Uh, there's all these things that are really useful for trading these fungible tokens that are mostly useless in trading uh, NFTs. And I, I think the the best NFT traders are basically just like really good at predicting culture and and find spotting cultural trends early. Um, and so like, like think of the people that are good at, uh, or, or like your friend that always finds bands before everybody else and is always exposing you to new music or like found this new TV show that's kind of obscure that, that nobody really knows about, but like becomes huge after a year. Uh, I think those are the types of people that are a lot better at trading NFTs. And I think a lot of the DeFi people just kind of treat them like any other token 
and um, they're trying to look at some sort of fundamental value and uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're just, they're not as in touch with uh, what people just like, which is really the main driver. I think um, there's like this so, aspect. Yeah. I got a question for you. Do are you, would you be comfortable with doxing your, your punk number? If you don't want to, that's fine. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's, it's actually, it's in my Twitter handle. So it's kind of doxed. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Okay, because Real Vision did this interview, The World According to Punk 6529. So I think we should call this, just copy that, that title and call this podcast The World According to Punk and whatever your, your punk number is. Yeah, I'm 6485. 64, oh, that's pretty close. I mean, we're pretty close to 6529. Have you seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about, this interview? It's on YouTube. It's like two hours long. The World According to Punk 6529. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I listened to it. I've listened to a couple interviews with him. Um, he's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I, I like a lot. Is there anything that he said in that interview, like as a punk holder, that you were just like, oh, yeah, like that's spot on? Or was there anything in the interview where you were just like, you completely disagreed with something he said? Do you remember? Yeah, you know, I don't remember it well enough to really pick apart specific things from that interview. Um, I don't remember. Did he talk about punks much in that interview? Yeah, I mean, they sort of went through, I, I, you know, honestly, I found it a little boring myself. Um, they, he kind of went through like his whole why he got a punk and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I think the interview was more focused around uh, the Yuga Labs and, you know, mm -hmm. this acquiring of the, the Bored Apes and, you know, the sort of back and forth between, um, you know, what it means to have an ape versus a punk and then all these like prop, these rights and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I, th I think that's something that's that's sort of evolved in NFTs that is a little bit under the radar is, you know, the the rights around these collections right now. It's not just like, you know, I think it sort of originally was sold like, oh, this is all this sort of like on chain. You own the rights of this thing. And then now, OK, well, there's this, you know, Yuga Labs that's involved that, you know, is an actual company and um ownership rights and that sort of thing. Um, I think that's really interesting that that's evolving around NFTs. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, certainly, I don't think anybody who bought punks bought them because they thought they owned the rights to them. Um, there have been some people who have publicly sold their punks uh, because they weren't given the rights to them. Uh, I, I kind of think this is like a weird dynamic in the current market that doesn't really matter all that much. Um, I, I don't know, maybe that will be proven wrong uh, in, in history. But I, I just think of it as like, like an NFT can is, is just kind of a data format that can represent a lot of different things. And it could just represent like art, right? And no, nobody buys a Picasso painting and then like thinks that they now own the rights to this artwork and can, you know, put it on their brand logo or whatever they want to do. Um, and, and I think like some NFTs are going to fit that model and, and that's fine. And there's like no reason why that should be valued less necessarily. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, obviously, Basie uh, or Yuga Labs has done really well with the apes by giving giving commercial rights to the apes. Uh, and then there's a whole sector of people who think that that's not far enough and uh, you want to just go full CC0. Um, and so there's just no rights holder and you can do whatever you want with it. And I think all these are interesting models, uh, but I don't think there's like one right answer. And it kind of depends on the project and what they want and what like the buyers, the collectors of that project want out of it. Um, I've, I've, okay, so this brings up some questions that I always kind of like find myself thinking about, about NFTs, like talking about, okay, like it's this new class of property rights and there's different like 
kind of like theses about like the future of these, right? Like on one hand, you have like the meta, I would call it like the metaverse. So it's like everyone's going to be living in these like simulations and they're going to have an avatar and it's going to be like your person in the metaverse and uh, you can get property in this and, and like people will basically like live a matrix like existence and then NFTs is like the property in that world. And then there's like the, the I guess the board ape is like, you're going to launch a restaurant chain with your board ape and it's going to be like a, like a real world IP value or like you're going to launch a TV series from your board ape. Or then there's kind of like the country club. I would call it like the country club. Like you're going to, you're, your membership of a, you know, your PFP is like your ticket into a country club and there's like celebs in there that you want to rub elbows with or whatever. And then, um, then there's just like this trade, you know, it's like a trading vehicle, right? Like it has no, you know, it's like this seasonal thing. We're just like riding these waves of public sentiment and it could just be nothing more than like trading art. So like, do you think, do you have a thesis as to like which of those futures or something else or a mix of them or, or like, what do you see in the future? Like the value of, of NFTs as an asset class? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all of the above really. Um, uh, you know, which ones are the best investments is hard to, for a long term, it's hard to say. Um, but like, I, I think the, the base technology is, is very simple and a lot of different types of things can be built on there. And, uh, there's like this explosion of experimentation right now of all these different ideas. And, um, yeah, and I think there's room for a lot of those things to exist. I, I think right now the kind of country club, like type of project is kind of the most popular and has like found the most product market fit. Um, but that doesn't really like mean that there's not value in having art on chain, um, or, or having, uh, uh, yeah, something that's just like a pure utility, right? Like, um, what's the uh, uh, Gary V's brother, uh, AJ, launched that, um, I, I don't even remember what it's called, the Sports Pass or whatever, right? Um, that's basically these, they're like tickets to various, uh, they'll be like invite you to events or uh, maybe get you into sporting events or like get you tickets to stuff. Um uh, you know, it's it's not totally clear what he's going to do with that, but I think these kind of like pure utility passes kind of things, uh, which Moonbirds is a little bit like that too. I think I think that's kind of how it will develop, um, which is a little bit different than the country club aspect too, where it's like you're kind of paying for um, this expected future value. Uh, it's it's almost like a ticket to uh, being like entered into a raffle for something or invited to an event. Um, Whereas the country club thing is a little bit more like you get to be in this private discord and maybe there's like some influential people or something that you have access to, um, which is also valuable, right? It's, it's, it is a large reason why people actually join real country clubs is you get to kind of rub shoulders with people that are maybe useful to network with in real life. Would you eat food at the board ape restaurant? Like, I don't know if I would. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> I could see that becoming like a huge chain, though. That's like you know the the place that you don't want to go to, but there's always like all those families in there eating spaghetti or something. Uh, I was just thinking though, like I think it really matters like who owned the NFT, right? Like for instance, you know Snoop Dogg bought this, you know board. He I think he also has a punk, right, or something. Um, but like you know, imagine like 
he dies, like I, th- I feel like the value of that's just going to skyrocket, right? And then his family is probably going to not want to sell it because it's personal to them, and you know, and then it has value. And there's probably going to be all this like drama and controversy around who owns it and that sort of thing, right? Because it's like, oh, well, you own it while you're alive, and then when you die, then all of a sudden, right, that ownership, that NFT, uh, just has to fall back into some system like about who gets it. I do think that's a really cool part about having provenance on chain is that, uh, you know, somebody, yeah, you have like Snoop Dogg has a punk and then for whatever reason, maybe he sells it in the future or he dies and his family auctions it off or somehow it ends up in somebody else's hands. Uh, that punk is forever more valuable than it would be otherwise because you have this on-chain record of, uh, you know, it was in this Snoop Dogg wallet at the time. Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing that like it does exist with real life artwork. It's just not as uh, transparent uh, of like where that artwork was owned by throughout its lifetime. And so I think that does like add some extra value when you have these famous people, especially when they use it as like their profile picture for a while. It's like it's kind of like their online identity that you now can own. Yeah, that was my my like when, you know, whatever. I've had some bad trades where I actually lose money. But then there's also those trades that you just like you should have put on and, and you just let them go by. So I wrote an article for foot guns uh, when Visa bought the crypto punk. And at the time I probably could have bought like three or four punks or something like that. Uh, and, you know, I wrote this article about how um, Visa buying a punk uh, brings a lot of like uh, credit to the system and like justifies owning an NFT and, and all this sort of thing. And I just sort of, yeah, watched the ship sail. So um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I think for me, it's, it's, a little bit of what you're talking about, which is, you know, trading DeFi tokens is different than trading NFTs. Um, my opinion, though, is it's it's has nothing to do with um, fundamentals or or technicals or anything. It's just purely the fact that like there's a big liquidity risk in NFTs. Like when I buy, you know, some shitcoin or whatever, at least there's you know a million dollars of depth in the market or something like that. Where at NFT you have to put it up for sale and then you just like sort of just wait there. So do, can you, can you talk a little bit about that experience of, of the, the liquidity risk in trading NFTs? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely correct. Uh, and I, I think if you are somebody who is not collecting for the long term and is just trying to trade, like maybe to increase their ETH stack, um, you do kind of have to take the liquidity when you can get it. So, and I do see that as like a common mistake that a lot of, uh, just crypto traders will make is that they'll buy up, say, you know, 20 or 30 of, of some projects and uh, expect that like, oh, if it goes down, you know, I'll just sell them off and get my money out. But it's like there might not be a buyer if it goes down. Um, and, and so especially if you're going to buy in bulk like that, uh, you kind of have to just like slowly take slowly exit as it's, it's moving up um, or even actually as it's moving down, you kind of have to just like slowly exit. So you're you're not ending up bag holding this huge amount of some project. Um, I, I think a lot of people, they see something like Bored Apes that just, you know, like the returns of that, it's, it's got to be one of the best investments of all time that you could ever possibly make. Uh, and they see something like that and they think like, oh, okay, I'll buy these whatever projects and uh, I'll just hold forever because like it might go to, you know, it's like a lottery ticket. It might go to 100 plus ETH. Um, and I, I think if you're, if you're really trying to actively trade, that's a terrible strategy. Um, I, I frequently flip things for very small amounts, uh, for very small gains. And, and actually, I, I frequently flip things for losses. 
um, because it's just it, it's important to get your liquidity back. Um, you don't want to be in that situation where you're holding something that there's just no buyers for, which happens pretty frequently. Are you reassured at all by projects that are on like NFTX or I think there's one or two other of these protocols where you can always sell at floor price? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that tooling will get better over time and will solve some of these problems. Um, but there, there's still kind of uh, this problem that like demand for these things just can dry up extremely quickly. Um, and, and you see it all the time. You see like these really hyped projects that that just have this huge amount of volume in the couple of days after Mint. And then, uh, you know, a month later, it's just totally dead. So, so yeah, maybe there's this NF or NTFX. Yeah, NFTX. yes that you can uh yeah that you can sell into um but if there's no other buyers then everybody's just selling into that pool and and the amount you're going to get for it is going to be uh just only good for a tax write-off really so earlier you said that you had been into art blocks and the generative art generative art and gotten out of that and more into the pfp stuff like is that any like was it did you have a big kind of like change in thesis and now like you said you're doing a lot of trades like do you have like a overall thesis or like investing style of like buy, hold, flip kind of thing? Like, are you trying to execute some kind of like strategy or is it just kind of a vibe project by project thing? Um, it's kind of both. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I very clearly saw that the market was just going towards these these PFP projects. Um, I, I think the board Apes really kind of changed everybody's thesis on uh, and, and I was slow to pick up on this. I, I, I've made almost no money from Board Apes. I, I bought one at like maybe four to five ETH, which felt very late at the time. Uh, and I sold that for like a 2X at, at 10 ETH or something. And uh, that's my only trade ever in the Board Ape ecosystem uh, and pretty brutal to, <laughs> to not have held onto that. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think at the time it wasn't, at least to me, it wasn't at all clear why that random profile pick project would uh, have taken off like it has. Um, but eventually I did catch up to like what people, what investors were really looking for in these projects. And um, and so I, and I just saw uh, how quickly liquidity was drying up for like Artblocks projects. They, Artblocks in general is also just like, hasn't done well at controlling their supply. And um, which, which, you know, fair enough. That's, that's the kind of platform they want to be. Um, but it's not necessarily, you can't just buy any art blocks project and expect it to be a good investment. It's really more like, do you like this art and want to just own it? Uh, then go for it, buy it. But uh, you're, you're probably not going to be able to flip any of it. Um, and, and so when I was thinking as a trader, um, I, I basically just saw where the market was heading and started being like, okay, so let me find these other projects that are doing similar things to what uh, Yuga Labs is doing, uh, either in uh, providing some sort of utility, which it's kind of a meme because utility generally just means like we're going to give you another NFT later, um, but you know <laughs> you can sell that for ETH and and that's the real utility. Um, so my my general generally how I'm approaching the NFT market in general is I I, I just want to stack ETH. So uh, I, I'm just trying to see kind of where the trends are going and uh, what those best investments are that I can actually just increase my ETH stack. Convicts. <laughs> no i do if you look at a chart of convex versus eth i think it's one of the strongest in all of um all of crypto right now i'm just gonna drop that random alpha in the middle of our nft conversation and then back to the show uh <laughs> how many projects do you think can sustain 
I don't know, 30 plus ETH, 50 ETH price point. Like, is the market big enough that you could have five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 PFP projects that are in 60, 70, 80 ETH floor price? Or is the market just like, can there be kind of like one or two big narratives at one time? I would probably say the latter, although, uh, you know, maybe like five, six, seven, whatever projects in that price range is, is maybe sustainable with the current market. Um, a lot of that kind of just depends on like how many holders are trying to sell actively, because um, that's what really pushes that floor price down. So even if the demand is low, uh, like I, I would say the the CryptoPunk market over the last few months, uh, demand has been extremely low. Uh and if there were a lot of holders that were just like desperately trying to get out, that floor price would be half of what it is now. Uh, it, it's just a matter of most of those punks are in people's hands who either have been have done well outside of punks or have like sold off enough punks to, to make some good money. And they just don't need to sell and, and they have a longer term thesis. So uh, so they hold on to those. But yeah, I, I think yeah, I view it similar to those like, you know, wealthy neighborhoods, like distributed amount across like, you know, America, where you have these groups of, you know, $10 million homes or whatever. And sure, if everybody that's living there all decided to sell on the same day, like they would have to fight a bit for the prices, but they're all comfortable. They're all having a good time. Nobody really, you know, maybe like somebody wants to leave here and there. Um, so yeah, I see like, I see those like hyper you know, the, the, the punks and the apes, like those huge NFT projects as being the same way where, yeah, these people like come in, they're cozy there. They're going to be there for a long, long, long time. And there's probably a lot of room for, you know, neighborhoods like that. Right. So, uh, I don't know. I think, I think there could probably be hundreds. Yeah, it's possible. It, it kind of, the market has to continue to grow a lot. And, uh, I'm not sure if currently the NFT market is growing that much. It feels a lot more PVP um, than it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this this year has been pretty rough for crypto in general. I mean, I think you know what NFTs had that last sort of run up in in January, um, but you know we're we're having this like pretty desperate um, macro picture right now where sort of everyone's running back for the doors to get back to dollars, um, regardless of if they have a bullish view on whatever they're you know buying or selling. Um, but no, I, I think like if you compare the size of the NFT market to like, you know, um, fine art or whatever, it's nothing, right? There's still so much room for it to grow. Um, so if, if it really is going to take a hold in art space, PFP space, utility space, uh, let's, I don't think we've mentioned yet that you can use NFTs to provide liquidity on Uniswap. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the, the entire market itself is going to be pretty big, I think. The the amount of PFPs and the amount of, uh, you know, artwork or whatever. Yeah. I do think there's going to be like these ups and downs, but you know, 10 years from now or something like that, I think the space will certainly like 10, 30, 40 X. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Just with the caveat that like, that doesn't mean that uh, whatever big project at the moment will still be around to that point, but yeah. Oh yeah. Most likely they'll all be, they'll all be gone. <laughs> do you have any, strategies for identifying new projects like are you kind of like hustling the whitelist or do you buy stuff after mint yeah i would say it's changed over time as the markets change um so like towards the end uh the the real the huge nft boom really was like the end of summer uh last year 2021 and 
uh, at that time, it was really like the, the most profitable way to trade these things was just like mint everything you can and, and just flip it quickly. And you were almost guaranteed to make money doing that. Uh, the, the projects you would lose money on were like, you know, less than 10%. It was just like, okay, there's a new mint. I, I Let me like play this gas war and get in there and get as many as I can. And I'll just flip them immediately. And I get like 2x. It was like a money printer. It was insane. Um, but that's very much not the current market. So uh, uh, like over time, I kind of transitioned to just, I, I hardly ever mint anything anymore. And I also have never mostly out of laziness, I guess, but like, I've never done the whitelist thing. There's usually too many hoops you have to jump through. Um, oftentimes those projects just end up like kind of slowly dying on secondary anyway. Um, so unless it's something that like, like I, I did get into the Moonbirds whitelist, uh, which I was very lucky to win that raffle, but that, that was just guaranteed money for anybody who won that raffle. Um, and it was, it was very clear of that ahead of time. Um, so that was a little different, but in general, I haven't really done the whitelist. Uh, usually what I do these days is I'm buying much more established projects, um, even at a couple ETH, um, just things that maybe have some sort of catalyst in the near term or have, I see a really strong community. I, I bought like a decent amount of Miladies, uh, what, like a month or so ago, um, I kind of, as they were starting to come up, I, I think if I remember right, I bought them probably around like. 0.2.3 ETH or so. And I just saw this like kind of organic community forming and people getting really excited about it. And, uh, and, and yeah, but that, that was like, they had been around for months and, uh, you know, I skipped the, I, I remember when they were minting and I didn't participate and uh, I'm really just looking for like market traction at this point. Oh, okay. So I have to ask you about this because Milady, that's one that, that I really l like and want to buy, but I'm looking at the chart. It had a run up to like looks like one or two ETH, or almost two ETH. Um, and I'm looking at this chart. It's been going down consistently. And Hal like, turned me on to using a trading view, which I love that you can actually get trading view style charts for these NFT floor prices, which is crazy to me. Wow, that is, that's the biggest uh, alpha yet, I think, so far that we've dropped. <laughs> yeah, so like A, Flippin, do you believe in using TA like charting for NFT floor prices? And B, how can you pull up this chart, Milady, and tell tell us what the uh, where I should be bidding here? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I didn't know you could do trading view. That's cool. Let me let me get it up while you respond. I'm curious: is the trading view uh, is it the NFTX pool? Is that what it's tracking, or is it tracking like actual NFTs being traded? I think it is the NFTX pool. It's let's see, Milady Maker slashed wrapped ETH, sushi swap. Yeah, I think it's NFTX. And, and the Milady pool there is super active. So it, it's probably more useful for that project specifically than it is for a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't personally use TA at all. Um, I don't know if it would be useful or not. I, I kind of generally see TA in any trading as like, it's, it's kind of as useful as the market participants are looking at it. So if everybody is looking at the same charts and, uh, you know, have the same theses on their, their TA, then uh, then it's very valuable. Uh, but like with NFTs, I just don't think most people that are buying or selling are looking at charts like that at all. And so the value of doing so is probably less than it would be in other markets. As far as when to buy Miladies, I'm not sure. I, I think I only hold one at this point. I did sell off most of them. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to be a project that just like dies, but uh, we might be a little bit past the hype period. So I wouldn't expect it to like skyrocket in value anytime soon necessarily. 
Um, but I, I haven't really been following it too closely, so I don't know exactly what's going on there. I think they had a big pump because they were trying to get in the, the uh, floor DAO. Like they were trying to get, or maybe they were being bonded to this DAO. That's like, I guess it's like an Ohm style thing where you're putting your NFTs into this DAO in exchange for their token. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but there was something related to that that was pumping it, I think. Yeah, I like their community. I like their presence on Twitter. Um, I, I like uh, a lot of the... A lot of the people are actually like not NFT people. They brought in a lot of new people um, and, and they have a different vibe to them. Uh, yeah, I, I, I follow a lot of ladies on Twitter. I enjoy what they're doing um, and, and I might buy some more in the future, but I don't know if I would necessarily be a buyer at the moment. Yeah, the, uh, on, on OpenSea, the highest number of sales was at 0.57 Ethereum on uh, March 26th. It's interesting though, there was like twice as many, yeah, I guess like the volume, there was you know the biggest volume spike right was at the top but um the number of sales itself was was a while ago at, at 0.5s so it's trading at what i mean that's a minus 30 percent from here or something like that that's not that's that bad I, yeah i would just wait buy them when they're a little bit cheaper I, it's interesting i i do think that um you can apply some uh you know standard concepts of just like Okay, well, where where was this thing traded at, right? Like, where 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 did people get interested in it? Where did people sell it? And you know, uh, I don't know. I don't think you can necessarily go draw lines on a chart or anything like that. But I do think you can you can look at the volume. Yeah, I think there's probably and people probably do this. Uh, I haven't really tried it much, but I, I think trading purely on volume might actually be a pretty good way to do it. Um, as you see volume increase, just buying into that. And uh, as you see it start drying up, selling uh, is probably a pretty good strategy most of the time. Uh, one of the things with NFTs too that you have to think about is like some of these projects have really high royalty fees. So if you are trying to do this really short-term trading and like some projects might have like say a 10% fee or something, and then, you know, you're paying two and a half percent OpenSea fee on top of that, uh, you know, that, that can kind of crush your profit if you're really trying to do these like quick flips. So you kind of have to be aware of that. Are there any... Um projects that you're especially bullish on like today or bearish on that you're actively dumping anything you're really excited about now uh, i mean I, I would i think right now it, it's really about moonbirds for me um which is not very helpful alpha because it's already so expensive um but i i just like the the market doesn't seem very hungry for a lot of these smaller projects i'm seeing a lot of projects that would have done great a couple months ago that uh, are just kind of like slowly dying and so I, I'm not really participating a whole lot in, in trading right now at the moment. Uh, I, I will flip back to doing that if the market changes. But uh, yeah, I do think like some of these bigger projects, I, I would say my, the two that I'm probably most bullish on right now are both fairly expensive pr projects. Uh, I would say Moonbirds and Doodles. Um, and we talked about Moonbirds a little bit, but like my, my reasoning on Doodles is uh, they're kind of the only project in this price range that hasn't done any sort of like drop they, they haven't they haven't given any extra value to holders yet and they're actively working on something uh, I, I have no idea what they're actually working on but uh if you look at like their competition here with like um you know azuki or clonex or um uh, i mean i guess you could include uh, uh the board api club in that as well but they're in kind of a different league um cool cats uh, all these different projects have already kind of done like these companion drops and like some of them have released tokens and th there's all these other like all this other value that's already been given to them. And uh, and doodles seem to be at a lower price 
because it hasn't already dropped extra value to holders, um, which is kind of the wrong way to think about it. Like it should be, you should be selling your say Azuki now because they've already done the companion drop uh, and buying a doodle because they haven't done it yet. And they will at some point, likely in the near future. I don't know exactly what their plans are. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my thinking there. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Final question on NFTs here. Like, do you like, um, are you doing the looks rare staking? Do you have any view on looks rare versus open like open possible airdrop or, um, have you looked at JPEG? We had a, um, developer from Badger, Jintao on last week, and he was pretty bullish on, on JPEG, which I guess is like, you can put your crypto punk up as collateral and borrow stables or something against it. So would you, would you use something like that to get some liquidity on your punk? Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I did trade the JPEG token briefly and made some pretty good money off of that, but I, I haven't looked, uh, and I, I sold all of my bags there already, but, um, which, you know, I, maybe it was the wrong move. I don't know, but I took profits. Um, but I, I really do like what they're doing. Um, there are a couple other projects that are doing something similar and I haven't really looked into the details of how they differ a whole lot yet. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really eager to jump into one of these protocols and, and stake my punk on day one. So, uh, it, there's just a lot of risk there. So I would much rather like wait a few months, kind of see how these different protocols develop. Um, but I, it's definitely something I would consider doing in the future if the rates were good. So speaking of not staking your punk, I mean, uh, I, I made this video recently that I put out on Saturday about, um, you know, trying to value risk inside of DeFi protocols for, you know, staking your stable coins to earn like APY yield. And I think the same thing you could apply to basically staking anything, including like an NFT, which is, you know, you should, you should think about like how old is the protocol? How much money is in the protocol? Um, you know, if they're offering you 10% APY and it's a day old, like that's a terrible deal, right? Like, cause there's such a high chance that you're literally just going to lose the entire value, right? Of your collateral um you know against this like tiny apy or something like that so um yeah i i i think i think it's really important for everybody to be really careful and then there was that hack recently right where um was the apes or the crypto punks i can't remember there was like 100 apes right that were stolen um because they like up their Instagram got hacked and they sent out this sort oh, of like Instagram, yeah. fake link to people. So, I mean, I think that's like one of the most dangerous things in crypto is like, you know, you, you possess these assets in your wallet and you're the one that has the ability to give them away to whoever you want to. Um, so yeah, just like, you gotta just be really, really careful with what you decide to go and put, you know, even if you're bullish on the protocol or whatever, just wait six months, you know, or something like that. Right. And just to be clear, nesting totally different than staking totally different ball game, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the cool things, and I think uh, there's going to be a ton of projects that copy this, this idea. Um, but, uh, the way the Moonbirds do it, uh, you never lose custody. It, it stays in your wallet. Um, you basically make this smart contract call, um, that they're calling nesting, which is sort of like staking. Really the sole purpose of it is to, uh, to measure the amount of time that you've had your bird nested. Uh, and while your bird is nested, like normal transfer calls don't work. So you can't like list it on OpenSea or, or wherever um, to try to sell it. So it's kind of a way of like getting a lot of the benefits of um, of staking your NFT, but you don't actually have to like give over this custody to the smart contracts. 
um, it's still just in your wallet. And so uh, I think it's, it's a cool way to do it. Yeah. Interesting. We'll have to, I'll have to go talk to some of the, the devs that we know about that because I'm curious um, how they, what their opinion on how Seifu that is. Yeah, I was actually trying to ask that question. Like, ironically, I didn't realize that it was actually different than than staking. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It is different. Yeah, I, uh, I, you should find somebody more knowledgeable than me to break down the smart contract. But it is different. I'm clearly a no birder here. All right, so let's move on to Notify. So this is this is a really cool app. That is it. Just you that that built it, or do you have a team, or is this just something that that you whipped up on your own? Oh uh, yeah, it's just me. Um, it's really just a side project of mine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can go into more detail on like what it is and and why I'm building it and all that. Yeah. So let's see. The first time that I heard about it was the day that Joseph DeLong, who was the, I don't know head up of the in charge of sushi swap resigned and he resigned by an on-chain message saying fuck this i'm out of here i quit right and um i think your app was like the first person that or the first thing that at least brought that up on my radar and got people talking about it so like i don't know can you use that as sort of like a an intro to it like why why is it valuable to for people to be monitoring these on-chain messages yeah um so you know the the value varies wildly because uh, uh, naturally sending an on chain message like anybody can do it and, and can post whatever they want there. So there's like a huge range in quality of what you're going to get uh, when you just read this raw feed. Um, but so uh, the reason like like I originally what I noticed was that every time there was a like a major protocol hack, um, the only way that teams had to get in touch with the exploiter was to send because they don't know anything except for their Ethereum wallet, right? So the only way they could get in touch with them is to send them a, an Ethereum transaction uh, and put some text data in their transaction data, and um, and so I, I just noticed this trend after a few hacks of like, oh, there's like this communication happening. Like sometimes the hacker will actually respond and they'll actually negotiate on chain, and um, and I thought that was really cool, but like it's really difficult to look at that on EtherScan which is how I was doing it at the time where I would just like click into each transaction and like decode it and, you know, and then try to find the next one. Um, so I thought like, well, this is actually like a pretty easy problem to solve. Um, so, so I built this, uh, this bot that just kind of listens to all transactions and attempts to decode them and parse them as if they were uh, a human language. And, uh, you know, I have some, a couple little tricks in there to kind of try to find something that's like actual value, uh, actually a valuable message. Um, but but if I if this thing detects that, oh, okay, this is actually like somebody sending some text data to somebody else, um, uh, I, I just save that in my database. Uh, it goes on to the Notify website. Uh, and then I also have a Twitter bot uh, that will tweet out that, that message in real time as it happens. So um, it really started as this curiosity of I was like, okay, people are definitely sending these messages, but there's really no insight into them. So I'm kind of curious like what people are talking about. Um, and and as I did that, I started finding like, oh, there's a ton of messages being sent every day. And, you know, it costs people, depending on gas at the time, a couple dollars all the way through like, and, and how long their messages, a couple dollars all the way through, you know, 20, 30 bucks to, to send these on-chain messages. So like you kind of have to have a, a fairly good reason to do so. Um, it, it kind of is like a, a natural spam filter in a way because it's like, you know, you can't send that many spam messages if it costs that much. So, um, 
so yeah, so I started monitoring these things. Um, and, and it is, I would say like the, the times where I find it most useful is in the immediate aftermath of these hacks. A lot of times information is kind of leaked through there for the first time because it's specifically these discussions happening between an exploiter and the, the protocol team. And um, so, so that's usually like where I get these, that's usually where I find out that there was a hack was I get these notifications on Twitter uh, from the spot that's tweeting them. And uh, yeah, and, and I think probably my favorite message was uh, when, as you mentioned, when uh, the sushi CTO quit his job through this on-chain message, um, which was pretty funny. Uh, and it was like this, it was this long resignation letter that he just, he just sent on chain. And, um, and, and then, you know, I, I saw that and hours later it was all over Twitter, but it was like, if you actually had, were plugged into these on-chain messages, you saw that he quit a while back. Um, so that was pretty cool to see that. Do you have a view as like, have you ever used these as a basis for a profitable trade? So like, I know like there's this guy, Matt Levine, he writes about, um, kind of like insider trading and stuff. And he has this kind of, uh like imaginary problem. Like imagine you had a preview of every company's earnings um, and you could trade on it. Like even though, even still like you, you, you had a preview, but you wouldn't know like the market reaction to it. So like, would you have known, like say, you know, that DeLong was quitting and the market didn't know it yet. Would that be like instantly bullish or bearish for sushi? Like, can you, how do you take these messages and then turn them into like, figure out which way that the trade is going to move? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I haven't really traded on these messages directly. Uh, I, I think certainly had you seen that that sushi message when it happened, I, I, I don't. I haven't looked at it, but I imagine if you held sushi at the time and you sold it all immediately, it would have been a pretty profitable trade to do that. Um, uh, I think also the same thing with uh, different protocol hacks. Uh, sometimes, like like obviously, the actual attack is on chain as well. But sometimes people don't notice it until later, until there's an announcement. So, uh, and, and sometimes teams will actually reach out on chain before they will announce publicly. So there is a little bit of alpha there. If you happen to be holding the token of whatever protocol there, um, you can get out. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if there's a ton of actionable trading. Duquan, <laughs> Duquan didn't send out uh, let's fucking go right before he started buying Bitcoin or something. <laughs> I wish that that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there are, I've noticed there's more and more uh, like new projects that are kind of using it as a marketing tool. Like they'll just send transactions to big wallets and just be like, Hey, like we're launching an NFT or like this new DeFi protocol or whatever. Um, I don't know how effective that is, but it's kind of interesting to think about that as, especially, you know, I, I don't have a huge audience for that bot on Twitter, but like pe there are people monitoring on chain messages. And so, uh, I, I could see that developing more where new applications, like maybe they, uh, they tweet out like a mint or, uh, they, they send an on-chain message that is like a mint date for their project or something. And like, that's the only way they're communicating. And that's kind of interesting. Free advertising or not free, but cheap advertising. Yeah. Let me just, so the, the URL for the project is notify N O T I F I dot X Y Z. And the Twitter bot is at notify with an I underscore X, Y, Z. Um, what, what are, do you have any plans to develop it further? Any like additional features building on top? I know the website allows you to kind of like very easily connect your wallet and send a transaction. So you don't have to actually 
create a, an Ethereum transaction for Scratch if you want to send people these messages, right? Yeah, exactly. It makes it really easy to send uh, text data uh, on chain. Uh, otherwise, you would kind of have to, I don't know of other UIs that allow you to do that so easily. So you would have to know how to code a little bit in order to be able to send these messages. So um, it does allow you to do that now. There's also some features with, um, you can go there and input any Ethereum wallet. And uh, I will attempt to give you the best way to contact that wallet. So um, say that they have an associated ENS name, uh, they might have some contact info there, might be able to surface like an email address or a Twitter or whatever. Um, if they, uh, the, you can actually direct message off chain, like privately through my app as well. Um, I also will like give you some nice handy links to like look at their Etherscan, their OpenSea, uh, search their address on Twitter, um, just trying to surface like as much information so you can get in contact with uh, any Ethereum address that that you uh, want to get in contact with. Or you could use that to figure out how easy you are to dox. <laughs> if your goal is to not, if your goal is to not get in contact with, yeah. you could use that website yeah. as a test to make sure uh, you're doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe time to switch addresses. Yeah, exactly. I I bought I bought like a crypto.com address like when it first released like years ago and then I was just like, "Wait a second. <laughs> That's my name." <laughs> yeah, as far as uh like future features, um one thing I'm kind of working on right now is um like I I launched this app uh maybe 6 months ago now or so. And so I've been recording all of the messages written onto the Ethereum chain since then. Uh, but I, I'm actually trying to go back now and like backfill all of the data from the Genesis block to now. Um, and, and so I would like to add some more, like add all of that data and then make it searchable, filterable, uh, you know, just give people tools to kind of like get insight into uh, the entire history of like messages that people have written on chain. Oh, that's very cool. I know there's like, do you, do you see any um, or have a way of looking at like the visual art that people put on chain like there's this project the math castles uh, nft project is really cool which is like all you know all the art is generated on chain and i know there's um there's this eth2 staking protocol that i have uh some eth in that's like there's a way if you're a validator that i don't know there's some text that's being written somewhere and like there's a, a way to kind of like write designs or art or create like a little picture or put some text in there as like a there's no really point of it except for just writing your graffiti on the wall of the, of the blockchain. Like, is there a way to like visualize these things that have more like an artistic value? Um, yeah, it's a good question. There probably is more I could do there. So what I do have now is um, like I support uh, SVGs. So if you do want to write that to chain, you can, uh, it will display a nice image uh, on the notify website. Um but that's pretty much the extent that I have of that. Uh, some people do actually like, I don't really know why, but, but some people do on chain send like YouTube URLs or like uh, URLs to images uh, that are not written on chain, but it's just like the URL is. Um, and so I do display all that kind of stuff um, with like actual, like kind of on chain art. Uh, it's not really stored in the same way of what I'm reading. So um so I, I don't really have direct support for things like like Math Castles, um, which I'm a huge fan of, by the way. It's a really cool project. Um, but but yeah, I, I think there's there's probably something interesting there that that I could look into. I haven't really thought about that a whole. Yeah, lot. we should send out foot guns on chain or something, just like decode yeah. PDF or <laughs> dot doc or something like that. 
Yeah, go ahead and mark this podcast for that. We should we should send out a message on this uh, on this episode. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I know I've asked you this before. When token, you said there are no plans for a token. But my question for you is: this like a optimism? No plans for a token, or is this like an actual no plans for a token? I, I would say actual no plans for a token. Um, I, I don't really know what the purpose of a token would be. It hasn't stopped projects before. <laughs> you and every other, other project. <laughs> so I, I guess another way to put it is: uh, I don't really want the responsibility of having like a token community of people who want the price of this thing to go up. Um, and, and I also don't like. I have no desire to have like a DAO vote on what I have to code. Um, so, so yeah, I, for me, it doesn't really, I mean, I guess I could probably make some small amount of money off of it, but, uh, but at what cost, you know, <laughs> I don't want to deal with any of that. Awesome. Okay. So in our last chapter, I wanted to get your thoughts on like more big picture stuff because you have a, a kind of like seat. I know you've, you've tweeted a lot of interesting stuff about, crypto social media like the intersection of these two spaces and your app is in the you know very base layer of the space where people are literally sending like kind of like the most basic messages back and forth on chain so just wanted to get some of your thoughts on uh on this on this area so i don't know like do you do you envision a world where in five or ten years everyone is transitioned away from Facebook and Instagram and whatever to some open version of this that's on like a fast L2 or something? Or is this kind of going to be like remain a sort of niche case for people to beg for their money back from from hackers? Um, yeah, I, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, certainly like this specific format, I mean, it, it's kind of a hack, right? Like uh, people are just sending, because you can send any arbitrary data on the Ethereum chain, you can just send text. Um, so people are using it that way, but it's, it's not really like a good foundation for building uh, like a social network. Um, but, you know, there, there are lots of projects that are working on decentralized social layers uh, and some that use blockchain as well. Um, it probably wouldn't look like what Notify currently looks like. Um, but I, I, yeah, I do think that like uh, that, that is probably where we're headed. And, uh, and I think that's good um, that we can have this sort of uh, uncensorable, decentralized backend um, that, you know, just has like everything and, and you can't you can't prevent people from posting whatever they want to post. Uh, and then you can have layers on top of that, right, that are uh, more moderated, uh, sort information in different ways, um, and they can compete on, you know, the UI, the UX, um, and, and, and how they're moderating the content and how they're filtering the content. Uh, and, and that seems like a really great model for these social networks because uh, it, it kind of it prevents this problem where you get locked into a certain platform um, it gives people control over their own data. It gives people choice over like how censored of a platform they want to be on uh, and, and what kind of information they want surfaced. Um, but there's still this like base layer that nobody has control over. Uh, to me, that that seems like the right way to go. Hmm. So I like to ask this question to developers who are working on on like one aspect or another in, in the ecosystem. Like imagine if you had a billion dollars and turned into a VC, like what are the big gaps in the, in the space that you think need to be funded? I know you mentioned there are projects that are working on this decentralized social media, but like, are there any glaring 
empty spaces that you see? Um, yeah, I, I probably am not qualified to take a billion dollars to, to invest, but um, I, I think like a, a lot of the, there's just a lot of infrastructure that I, I think is really the place to continue to focus on. Um, uh, things like layer two infrastructure, uh, interoperability between chains. Um, I, I, there's definitely just like usability problems. Uh, so, uh, you know, investing in wallets with like social recovery and, and, and things that give people the average person just a little bit like uh, more safety, uh, make it harder to make mistakes. Um, um, like mobile, just in general, like so much of this blockchain stuff is just you have to have a laptop. It's just a pain in the ass to use mobile tooling. So anything that kind of makes that onboarding experience and, and mobile tooling easier. Um, I, I think like there's just so much to do still in this sort of like basic infrastructure layer um, stuff like like social media apps, uh, I think will come in time, but uh, I'm not sure if that's like would be the most profitable investment at the moment. Does that make sense? Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think anything that prevents people from, well, I don't know, like on one hand, it's kind of bullish on crypto that like every year a certain like non small percentage gets lost forever because people get locked out of their wallets and stuff. But like, so that makes our bags go up who are unlocked. But um, on the other hand, yes, like that is the probably the biggest barrier to mass adoption, right? Like people getting locked out, being too hard to use, being people sending shit to the wrong address and it doesn't work or interoperability, making it, making it possible for just anyone to seamlessly use it rather than like you have to be like somewhat hardcore to use crypto at this point yeah i mean i think that's sort of what we're we run up against with foot guns is you know we're sort of here trying to be on the cutting edge of like what's actually going on in DeFi and nft space and a lot of the times i just find myself like you know banging my head against the wall because i'm just like okay i'm gonna write an article that tells people like do this push this button do this then this and this and this and this and this and it's just like this is obnoxious like who would ever want to go do this so yeah i do think that it it, it really needs to have that user experience like cleaned up and put on top of it. I know there's a lot of people that are hardcore that, you know, they'll always be like, I, I view it as, as like the Linux crowd that's just sort of grown, you know, into the DeFi crowd, you know, like I want to be able to know everything that my computer is doing and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the average person really just wants ease of use and not have to worry about, you know, losing their, their coins or their keys or, you know, doing the wrong thing. All right. I'm a, uh, since this is a podcast, I'm obliged by law to ask you about the Elon Twitter thing, which I don't know, like on one level, one level, it's, it's quite interesting that he was able to like take it over so quickly, but like for some reason, it seems like everyone with a Twitter account or a podcast has like this very strong take on like what, what to do to fix Twitter. Do you think Elon will save Twitter? Do you think everyone with a podcast will just, channel their hate to Elon once he's forced to like shoulder this responsibility of, of keeping up the platform that everyone loves to hate. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely he's going to be held responsible for, you know, if, if you're a social media founder, then like you're going to be blamed for every possible problem, which I guess is true with the founder in general, but social media is like this. It's, um, it's so personal to people that they like take it much more seriously than they do a lot of the other products that they use. So yeah, I think he will absolutely be, it's not going to help his public perception. And, and I think he just doesn't care about that, which is cool. Um, that's, that's how that's great that he doesn't care. And he's, he's willing to do that. Um, Cause I, I don't see a whole lot of upside for him in this move. 
But uh, yeah, as far as like how Twitter will change or how he'll run Twitter, um, I, my guess is it's like less changes than people really think. Um, there's a lot of like, a lot of people who are either like, this is like a doomsday scenario or, you know, everything will be great now. Um, all of our problems will be solved. And it's just very unlikely that either of those are true. Um, there will probably be some like, some minor changes in uh, uh, maybe, you know, less people get banned. Maybe there's a little bit more transparency around some of the decisions that they make. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know what else he really has planned. Uh, maybe he has- 10% more based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about right. Yeah, I think that's probably about what will happen. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, it, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think it's like a bad move. Uh, I don't, I'm not really a person that thought that Twitter was terrible before anyway. Um, so much of it's about like how you curate it for yourself and, and how you use it as a tool. Um, so, you know, I like, the comp- I, I saw Twitter make mistakes in my mind, but, uh, but I, I'm not somebody who just thought it was like a total cesspool and, and, no, no value there at all. And now Elon's going to come in and save it. Uh, I, I think probably it'll be pretty similar. And the people who hate Twitter will probably keep hating Twitter. And the people who, who don't will probably continue to get value out of it. And uh, it'll be somewhat of a non-issue. Yeah, I've just gotten to a point where like, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And just like, if you graph the amount of time that like, X or Y podcaster is just like bitching about Twitter, yeah. and like X or Y got banned is just like up into the right. And if that can go down, like, I'll be I'll be a happy camper. Yeah, I think he has the the right value set. So I, I'm with him on like his general guidance of, of what he says he wants to do. Yeah. And I was asking, I was going to ask about like censorship and stuff, but I think you kind of articulated it earlier. Like it does make a lot of sense. Like if you have this layer one, that's like completely uncensored. And then the layer two is like where most people live and it's a little bit more cleaned up and, and uh, you know, there's whatever, base layer of of censorship to make sure that it's not like overtaken with child porn and like all the horrific stuff that like needs to be censored right like i think i think that makes a lot of sense and jives with the way the technology is going like yeah i think nobody actually wants an uncensored unmoderated platform um but people do want choice so uh if you can set up the architecture in the right way where uh, people have the ability to exit a platform and go to a different one that maybe has different moderation rules that fit their standards more. Um, but but there's just this base layer that allows that easy exit between different platforms. Um, that that seems like the best architecture for, for everybody, really. All right. Well, Flippin, this has been awesome. Is there any uh, final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Or uh, what's, what's the best way that people can connect with you? You want to drop your, your Twitter or whatever uh, on-chain message is... Uh... Is the, is the best way to uh, to find you. Yeah, yeah. I only respond to on-chain messages, so uh, that's the only way you can get in touch with me. Um, no, I, you can contact me on Twitter. It's probably the best way. I'm at Flippin, F-L-I-P-P-E-N, like in the Flippening, uh, dot, or actually, sorry, at Flippin6485, which is my punk number, if you want to check him out too. It's a great vampire punk, big fan. Um, uh, yeah, so you can, you can find me there, or you can send me an on-chain message. I will read that as well. Um, I'm also probably in whatever uh, random NFT Discord you're in as well. So feel free to at me there. Um, Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was fun. Thank you.